Exodus 33, 34, 5 through 8, the tent outside the camp. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go up from here, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land I have promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give to your, to your offspring. I will send an angel ahead of you and will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hethites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up with you because you are a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this bad news, they mourned and didn't put on their jewelry. For the Lord said to Moses, Tell the, the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I went up with you for a single moment, I would destroy you. Now take off your jewelry, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites remained stripped of their jewelry from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp. At a distance from the camp, he called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance to the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship, each one at the door of his tent. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. His assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. The Lord's glory. Moses said to the Lord, Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have always found favor with me. Now if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I may find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people. And he replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I am your people, I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us. I and your people will be distinguished by this from all, all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know your name. Then Moses said, please, let me see your glory. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. 
The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in in, in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving inequity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's inequity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshipped. Then he said, My Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our inequities and our sin, and accept us as your own possession. Thank you, Tim. If you haven't already done so, I want to invite you to turn to that passage, Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to look at this. This this will be our our last uh, Sunday studying the book of Exodus. We're going to um, end with this glorious passage, and um, and then as we as we as we wind down, you are more than welcome to continue to read the description of the building of the tabernacle uh, and the the final chapter, chapter forty, kind of ties everything together as uh, as the book then transitions into uh, what we find in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. But here, as we look at this passage today, we're going to see God as the God of glory and grace. The God of glory and grace. Remember, this comes right on the heels, of course, of chapter 32 that we looked at last week. The, the, the story of the calf and the idolatry and the rebellion and God's grace in, in his uh, preserving the Jewish people, the, the Israelites, from their punishment uh, as Moses interceded on their behalf. And so we sort of finished chapter 32 with God saying, okay, I'm not going to destroy them. I'm not going to wipe them out. But yet there's still a there's still a kind of an uneasy tension as we come into chapter 33, and we see that the people are faced with a problem. They can't really live with God, and they can't live without God. This God of holiness and justice must deal with their sin. They can't live with Him, but yet there's absolutely no way they can go forward without Him, and there's this tension that we're going to see throughout this chapter, and I, I didn't actually have like a regular outline. We're just going to kind of walk through the, the text as we, as we read it together. And uh, you can, if you're jotting down notes, you can sort of jot whatever, whatever the Lord lays on your heart or whatever comes to mind, but I don't have bullet points for you this week. So as, we, as, as the chapter starts, we immediately run into some bad news. God says to Moses, you can go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. And that sounds great. This is the promised land after all. This is where God told them they would be and be able to experience this this great uh, fruitfulness and this great joy. But he says in verses 3 and 4, I will not go up. I will not go up with you because you're a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned and didn't put on their jewelry. This is devastating. God is not going with them. He promised, he's he's keeping his word. He says, listen, you can have the land like I told you. I'll clear the way. All the ites will be out of there. And it's the land's yours. You don't get me. And they immediately recognized 
That's bad news. I don't know about you and me. I don't know what you, what you think as you read that, if that seems like bad news to you. Some of us are, are like, well, I mean, at least they're getting the land. They're getting what they wanted. They're, they're, getting, they're getting this beautiful place to go dwell, just like God promised. He says, this is, I'm not going with you for two reasons. He says in verse 3, you're stiff-necked, you're stubborn. And he says, I might destroy you along the way. You guys keep doing this, I might just wipe you out. So he says, listen, you can have the land, you just don't get me. Imagine, let's try to illustrate this. Imagine it's, it, it's your wedding day. You're, you've got this beautiful honeymoon planned after the, the ceremony that you're supposed to get up in the morning and you and your spouse are taking off to this place that you've not, neither of you have ever been. You've, you've, all your lives, you've, you've each wanted to go to this place and it's going to be your honeymoon, your great celebration. You're going to be gone two weeks and you're just going to enjoy this, this beautiful trip together. Well, you wake up that morning, your flight leaves in a couple hours, and you discover your spouse is like deathly ill. And, and, and so you rush them to the hospital, and they, they require an emergency procedure. And the hospital's like, we're going to have to keep them here for at least another week here while they recover. You, 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 can't, you can't go on this trip. And imagine looking at your spouse and saying, but <laughs> we had a great trip planned. I mean, they'll take good care of you here. You're going to get plenty of meal, plenty of food. I'm sure somebody will visit with you. I just, I just don't want to miss out on this. Uh, you mind if I still go? Like, I think we all recognize, well, I, I had somebody come out of the first service. Now, I, most of us recognize that the proper answer is, no, I'm not going on that trip. If I can't have you, I'm not going. I had one guy come up afterwards. I'm not going to mention any names, but um, he's, he's like, well, what if it's like this like, super awesome once-in-a-lifetime hunting trip? And it's non-refundable. And you're like, don't you think my spouse would want me to be on this trip? Like, they would be sad if I had to cancel this trip. Okay, the proper answer is no. You don't want to go on this trip because it's not what it was supposed to be. That The enjoyment of the trip is to be able to go together to celebrate your marriage. And so God's saying here, you can have the land, you just don't get me. And all of a sudden, that offer of the land just doesn't look so good anymore if God's not willing to be there. If, 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 if we don't have God, listen, anything that we pursue, any of the stuff that we get, it's nothing. You can get that job promotion. You can get that house on the lake. You, you can get the, the, the body that you want or the health report that you want. You can have successful kids. You can have that, that car you've always dreamed of. Whatever it is, you can achieve all this stuff. But if you don't have God, you got, it's, it's all meaningless. It's all going away. This is, this is why this is why you hear about uh, movie stars, multi-millionaires delving into drugs or committing suicide because they, they, they get what they wanted and they realize that it wasn't fulfilling. It didn't meet all the, the it, it didn't check all the boxes that they thought it would check in their heart. That's because God wasn't there with it. My brothers and sisters, we have to be leery of pursuing things in for an end and of themselves. If God's not in it, whether that's your career, your family, the, 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 the things you spend your money on, whatever it is, if God's not in it, if God's not there, it's, it's going to amount to nothing. One writer said this. I said, so why are you a Christian? Is it because of what you get? Forgiveness, hope, blessing, community. Those things are all great. God's blessings in the gospel are bountiful beyond measure. 
but be like Moses. Pursue God for God's own sake. If you only love God's blessing, then your faith may falter when life's hard. If you only love what God gives, then what will happen if he ever withholds it, if it goes away? Some people are happy to relate to the church. They want the benefits the church brings, maybe a place to hang out, a group of people who will help them out when life is hard, or they they want the forgiveness that Christians talk about. But at the end of the day, we don't really want God. They don't want God the Holy One, God the consuming fire, God the glorious presence, God the one who calls sin spiritual adultery, the God who is angered by compromise and insists on holiness. My brothers and sisters, may that not be us. May we not pursue even the spiritual things for simply what we get. Let's not seek a relationship with God simply because we want stuff and blessings, but because we want Him, because He alone is sufficient. And so Moses says in verse 12, Look, you've told me, lead this people up, but you've not let me know who you'll send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you found favor with me. Now, if indeed I've found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you so that I may find favor with you. And now consider that this nation is your people. We saw it last week, and we're going to see it again here in this text. Moses is a man of passionate prayer. He doesn't just rattle off a list of wants. He doesn't just, like, like, like prayer to him is not just going through a little list or a little quick one-off throw up to the heavens. Like he is pleading with God, as we're going to see, like he did last week. We see it again here in this text. He's pleading with God. And I love what he says in verse 13. Now, if, if I have indeed found favor with you, and God has said this, and we'll say it a couple more times throughout this passage. What a beautiful phrase. Moses, you found favor with me. You found grace. And he says, please teach me your ways. God, I want to know you, and I want to know how to please you. And then he adds, I, and I will know you so that I may find favor with you. So he says, I've found favor with you, but I want to know you more so that I continue to find favor with you. And he adds, now consider that this nation is your people. I love that Moses wasn't simply taking God's no for an answer. Sometimes we just are so easily satisfied. Yeah, I, I, I've been, I don't know if you've ever been to a country before where you had to... Uh, had to haggle over the price of stuff. We're Americans. We're not used to that sort of thing. You go into a market and the price might adjust depending on your bargaining skills. You ever been to like Mexico or we had to do it when we lived in China? And I was terrible at it because I felt so mean, like going back and forth. And they expect it, but still it was like, how much is that? And they'd tell me, and it's something kind of outrageous, but I'm like, well, I really need it. Uh, I, don't, I can't go home without it, so I guess we'll pay. You know, we'd, have, we'd have one of our Chinese friends there like, you don't pay that. Don't, that's outrageous. And I'm like, it doesn't seem that bad. And like, no, that's outrageous. Don't pay that. And you, you, you begin to haggle back and forth, and you feel kind of weird, and sometimes you're just like, I just, I don't want to do this. Like, it's just, it's okay. It, it's like $7.50. I'll, I can I can pay $7.50 for this thing. And they're like, no, you shouldn't pay any more than $2.50 for it. And I'm like, but it's $7.50. I can handle it. They're like, no, don't pay. And I just, I didn't, I, I struggle with that process, you know. And, and, and yet, like when it comes to prayer, God calls us to be bold in our prayers. We saw it last week and he does it here again. Moses is like, no, I, I, don't, I don't want to go up. We can't do this without you. God says, I'm not going. And Moses doesn't just, he doesn't just roll over and say, well, guys, 
He said he's not going. I don't know what to tell you. Let's go. We're going to go figure this out. Um, at least we're going to get some milk and honey out of the deal. I don't, know, I don't know what else to tell you. He doesn't do that. He says, no, land's great, but you're better. I'm not going without you, God. And so this is God's answer. Verse 14. God replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, on the outset, that sounds, and it is, a, what a beautiful sentence. What a beautiful thing to hear from God. My presence will go with you, and then on top of you getting me, you're going to get rest. You're going to get rest from your enemies, Moses. You're not going to have to fight. I'm giving you rest. On one hand, that sounds so good, but this is where the, the, the um, we get a little bit lost in, translation, in the translation, because the word you shows up twice. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. In the English language, uh, we can't tell if he's talking about you singular or you plural. Like if you live in the South, well, there's a you plural. It's called y'all, right? And then if, if in some places, even here in Michigan, you might get used guys. But by and large, like, we don't have, like, a, a, a plural you. And a lot of times in Scripture, in fact, most of the time in Paul's letters, if you see the word you, it's almost always in the plural. He's talking to the church. But here, this is actually in the singular. God looks at Moses and says, my presence will go with you, singular, you, Moses, and I will give you, by yourself, I will give you rest. Now, if Moses, <laughs> if I was Moses... I'm going to be a pretty selfish person. I'm like, hey guys, sorry about the rest of you. God's going to be with me. Assume that includes my family. We're good. So long, suckers. I mean, he had to, I mean, we know that he was annoyed. He was frustrated with them. They had, they had ticked him off at several points. This would have been a perfect chance to be like, hey, God answered my prayers. I don't know what you guys are praying for, but I got God and he's going to go with me. And he's going to give me rest. So long. This is, this is a really fascinating passage. That's why then that all of a sudden now verse 15 makes sense because it sounds like God answers his prayer in 14. But all God says is, I'll go with you, Moses, not the rest of these yahoos. And so Moses continues to pray in verse 15, if your presence does not go. That makes sense now, right? Yeah, I, listen, that's not the answer I'm looking for, God. What boldness, what audacity, and what love. What love. Moses could have been selfish here. In fact, I don't know if you picked it up as Tim was reading, but if you, if you read through this passage, verses 7 through 11 are kind of a weird insert. I don't know if you picked it up, but in verse 7, it talks about Moses taking a tent, and it says he pitched it outside the camp at a distance from the camp, and it was called the tent of meeting. Now, this is, this is kind of strange because God had told them about a tabernacle and it was supposed to be in the center of the camp. But now here in chapter 33, verse 7, Moses puts up this tent of meeting. And what a lot of scholars believe is that at this point, after God says, I'm not going, they sort of abandoned the idea of a tabernacle. Because the tabernacle was supposed to be a place of what? God's, God's presence. And God just said, I'm not going with you. And so it almost sounds like they're sort of resigning themselves that God's not going to be with us. So Moses puts up this tent outside the camp, and it says that Moses would meet the Lord. In fact, verse 11 says, the, this is another beautiful verse, the Lord would speak with Moses face to face just as a man speaks with his friend. What a cool thing. 
So Moses would go out to this tent, and he'd talk to God, just like God's his friend. But at the end of the day, that was just for Moses. Moses was not content to just simply have this experience with he and God. If the people were not included in being able to celebrate and enjoy the presence of God, Moses didn't want it. Can you see that the love just oozing out of this guy? He had a chance to have this beautiful relationship one-on-one with God, but he was not content with that. Can you see the application for the church? My brothers and sisters, we're not called to just simply enjoy this one-on-one me time with God in devotions and stuff. We, We need that. The Bible talks about that. But if you're not connected to the body of Christ and enjoying his presence together, you're missing out. And Moses is like, I get this chance to talk with God like a friend, but the rest of the God's people are going to miss out, and that's not cool with me. I want them to enjoy the presence of God. Isn't this beautiful? So, so Moses boldly goes back in 15 and 16, he says, if your presence doesn't go, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people of the face of the earth. Wow. Moses recognized that he absolutely needed God and his presence every step of the way. We just sang about it. Lord, I need you. Every hour, every moment, I need you. I wonder how many of us really believe that. We get going in our day and we get in autopilot mode and we we. The song should probably be more like, when things get really bad, Lord, I need you. When my kids are being obnoxious, Lord, I need you. When I get stuck in traffic, we're from Claire. When I get stuck behind an Amish buggy and I'm on my way somewhere in a hurry. Or when I get that phone call from my doctor that wasn't the news that I wanted. Or when I lose my job. Those are the moments we say, Lord, I need you. But what if we were like Moses, that we longed for the presence of God day in and day out? It's like the psalmist said in Psalm 27, I've asked one thing from the Lord, it's what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. He goes on to say, my heart says this about you, seek His face. Lord, I will seek His face. My brothers and sisters, let's seek the face of God. Not just the hand of God, not just when we need something, when we really need him to come through. He does, he wants to hear those prayers. But he longs for us to seek his face moment by moment. I think this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in in 1 Thessalonians 5, to pray without ceasing. I remember reading that as a kid, thinking, am I just supposed to walk around muttering prayers all the time? Like a, like a crazy person just talking to myself, but I'm really talking to God. Like, I don't think that's what he's getting at. Live a life of communion with God. Live a life of prayerfulness. Live a life where the line's always open. Where you're constantly coming before God and reminding him that you long to be in his presence and you need him. It's what one writer calls famously practicing the presence of God. Moses was not content to simply just enjoy that himself. He wanted the people to come in and enjoy that as well. And so, in verse 17, the Lord answers Moses, I will do this very thing you've asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. What a beautiful reply 
What a powerful reply. God says, I will do this thing that you asked. Why did God answer his prayer? From the, 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 at the end of the day, God wanted to. But, but from the text, we glean that because of Moses' persistence, because of him going before the Lord constantly about this very matter. My brothers and sisters, we're called to be people who pray deeply and passionately about the things that we long to see God do. Yes, he cares about the small things in life. He does. But let's pray big prayers too. Pray prayers like, God, let your people see your glory. Let, let my unsaved neighbor see the beauty of Jesus. Open up the doors for the gospel in places like North Korea. Lord, let your word go forth. Let's, let's remember to pray audaciously for things that seem impossible. Moses had got an audible answer from God. Think about that. If, let's, say, let's say you're praying for something that's huge on your heart and mind tomorrow. That's just a big deal for you. And you hear an audible voice from God, and he says no to your prayer request. Like, uh, for one, we're like, whoa, okay. I just heard the voice of God. And number two, man, he said no. What would we do to that? I know my natural response would be like, I mean, it was the voice of God. I don't, what else can I do here? That's, that's it. He said no. <laughs> that's not what Moses did. He heard the audible voice of God and he said no. God, I have to have you. You see what he's praying for? He's not asking for a newer model of car. He's not, he's not asking for something selfish or something petty. He's like, I need your presence to go with us. See what I mean? He's asking for the kind of stuff that God wants already to do. God wants to save people. Let's pray for that. God wants us to know him. Let's pray for that kind of stuff. God wants our kids to walk with him. Let's pray for that stuff. But even that, <laughs> Moses in his boldness doesn't stop there. He gets the answer from God that he wants. God says, I will do this thing you've asked. You've found favor with me, and I know you by name. Oh, we could go down that rabbit trail of just... How precious, God, in his God's answer, he says, I, I know you intimately. You are my son. I know you by name. You know, that doesn't just apply to Moses. There's all kinds of New Testament texts that remind us that, that God speaks to us that way. He looks at us that way. You're not a number in God's eyes. You're not just a, a, a stat or a figure. I shared in the first service how uh, when my wife first moved to Michigan out of the big city uh, and growing up in, in San Diego, uh, in just a few months in my town, she, you know, she said, it was, it's so amazing. Like you walk into the grocery store, you walk into the bank, and they greet you by name. They know you. And she said, it's, it's just so cool to see people and, and, and be greeted by people who they'll ask you about, hey, you remember we were talking last week about it? They know you. In, in a big city, you're, just, you're, kind of a, you're kind of a number. You're another face in the crowd. God knows you. You're not just not just a church member. You're not just another one of those Christians. He knows you by name. He knows you inside and out, and you belong to him. So much more we could say there. Moses is not content with that answer. Even, even there, he says, in, he asks in verse 18, then Moses said, please let me see your glory. Please let me see your glory. He wanted to go deeper still. 
He wanted to experience the, the presence and the, the beauty and the splendor of God in a, in a way that, that he had not yet experienced. This is the guy who'd been on Mount Sinai, the smoke and the fire and the Ten Commandments, 40 days, 40 nights up there in the presence of God, and yet he longed to see something in a fresh way of God's presence and God's beauty. One writer said that Moses is, in effect, asking God for some demonstration of the promise that he just made. He's asking God to sort of put it in writing, which there, there could be some truth to that. He says, okay, you made this promise to go with us. Let me see your glory, just, as a, just to add your stamp of approval to what you just said. The concept of glory is a little bit hard to understand. It's all over the, the, the scriptures. We've seen it a lot here in Exodus. To try to define the glory of God is is. is and it, it's kind of impossible to really nail it down. The, the Hebrew word itself means a, a weightiness or a, a heaviness, substance. Probably the closest English equivalent we have is the word matter. B because uh, matter has a couple different meanings. Matter can mean like substance. This is, this is matter. It's material. It's, it's got weight to it. It's got heft. It's an actual physical thing that can be picked up. But matter also means significance. You matter. Your life matters. So we bring that together, and that's sort of the concept of glory, that there's a weightiness but a significance attached to it. It's, 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 it's the, the, the manifest beauties of God. It's His qualities. It's it's his glory. <laughs> Moses says, I want to see this. And God says, well, you can't or you'll die. It's his reply. One writer says, Moses wanted to experience the full splendor of God's presence on a personal level. He was begging God for a unique form of self-disclosure and self-revelation. He was asking God for something that God had not granted to any human since the Garden of Eden. He wanted full and unfettered access to the resplendent glory of God. This was the desire of Moses' heart. This longing for intimacy. What is it that you and I long for? What is it that we pray for? I'm just circle back. To, I know we said it. Are, are, are we praying like surface level stuff? Or do we long to see God in a way that we've never seen Him? Experience Him in a way that we've never experienced Him? If God says, you, you can't see me and live. But he, he gives a counteroffer. He says, I'll, I'll call, verse 19, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll proclaim the Lord, the name the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you can't see my face for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here's a place near me. You're to stand on the rock and when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take my hand away and you'll see my back but my face cannot be seen. Moses would not be able to see God's glory in all his fullness. There are times throughout Scripture that God gives his people glimpses of his glory. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, his vision of the Lord. We see it in Revelation 21 as, as, excuse me, as, uh, as John experiences that to, to some degree. Um, Ezekiel 44.4, I looked and saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple. Um, John 1, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Luke 9.32, but 
Peter, James, and John saw Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. So there are times when God's people get little glimpses of God's glory, but to see it in all its fullness, God said, that's not possible. God reminds him of his personal name, the Lord. You'll see it capitalized in your Bible. And we mentioned it back when we were talking about the burning bush early in this series. When we see that in all caps, that's the name Yahweh. That's God's personal name that emphasizes his presence, his nearness, his self-existence. I am here. I am with you. See, what, what Moses was getting as he prayed for God's glory, to see God's glory, is he was getting a reminder of the presence of God. The Lord declares his name twice as he passes by. The Lord, the Lord, the God who is present, the God who is present. And that's what he did as he passed by. We read in chapter 34, if you jump ahead to 34, verses 5 through 7, we see that the Lord proclaimed his name. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. As God's presence passes by Moses, God could have said all kinds of things that would have been true about him. I'm a God of truth. I'm a God who is righteous. I'm a God who is holy. He didn't have to say anything. He could have just brought this glory by. But of all the things he could have said, this is how he reveals himself. This is, what, this is the foot he puts forward. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God. I wonder this morning, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God? What are the, the emotions that you feel when you think about God? Is it fear? Is it distance? Is it, is it unworthiness? What do we think when, about when we think about God? When God talks about himself, yes, there are a lot of things that are true about God, but he often leads with his compassion and his grace. In fact, I just want to throw some scriptures at, at you. They're going to come fast and furious, and the intention is to overwhelm you right now. Okay, I'm just telling you that right at the offset. The intention here with all these verses is to overwhelm you, to show that this is not an anomaly in Scripture. Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Nehemiah 9, 17. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt, what we've been talking about here but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. Psalm 86, 5, for you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. Later in verse 15, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Psalm 103, 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. 108.4, for your faithful love is higher than the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Psalm 145.8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, 
and great and faithful love. Even Jonah in Jonah 4.2 when he was angry about the Ninevites repenting and he tells God why he didn't want to preach in the first place. He says, isn't this why I said while you were still, while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and one who relents from sending disaster. In Joel 2.13, tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. You might have guessed I'm trying to make a point. God is a God who is gracious and compassionate. And I don't know what you think about God this morning, but if you came in here feeling distant from God, that's only because of you. You have a God who is pursuing you in love and compassion even at this very moment. He has not run out of mercy. He did not exhaust it with the children of Israel and say, like, sorry, I used it all up when they were idiots there, the golden calf and stuff. Uh, sorry. This is all the way throughout Scripture. This is what God wants you to know about him. And I think the reason that he, that he repeats it so much over and over and over and again in Scripture is because we need to hear it so much. There's like the old joke about the, the husband who on his, on his wedding day tells his wife, hey, I want you to know that I love you. I'm not going to tell you that anymore. I'll just let you know if something changes. It's like sort of that, like, how would you feel? If, like, that's, that's not love. You would like to be reminded. We, we need to be told over and over again. God knows that that's true of us. We need to be reminded that he is a God who is love. Why does he have to remind us? Because that's the first thing that Satan wants us to doubt. That's the first thing that Satan goes after. It's what he started with in the garden. As God really said, does God really care about you? Do you really think that God's given you everything you need right here? Because there's this tree over here that looks really good, and I think God's trying to hold it back from you. We doubt the goodness and love of God, and so he repeats it over and over and over again in Scripture. When we go out later today and we sin, when we get in a fight with our spouse, or when we, when we begin to have that covetous thought, or when laziness creeps in, or whatever it is, we, we, we can beat ourselves up and we can say, man, I just, I'm not worthy. I'm no good. I'm just a mess up. All those things we tell ourselves. And we come back to the scriptures. We need to beat the scriptures into our heads. We come back to the scriptures. We have a God who loves, who delights in showing grace. A God who delights in showing forgiveness. He's not stingy with it. He's not dealing it out piecemeal. Well, fine, that's, fine, you can have that. Some of us had maybe a, a grandparent or somebody's, you know, we'd go over to their house and they had a little candy jar. And, you know, there were grandparents that had a candy jar that was just free reign. I don't care. My, my mom's got one of those candy jars. I'm like, Mom, the kids don't need two fistfuls of Snicker bars. She's like, yeah, they can have as much as they want. <laughs> and then some of us had that grandma who's like, who's got the, like, you know, like old, gooey, jolly ranchers. Just make sure you only take one. You're like, they're kind of gross to begin with. I don't even really want one. Our God is the stick both fists in, in, the, in the candy bar jar kind of a God. He says, here, here's grace. I don't mind doling it out. You need far more than you need, you, you'll ever imagine. So here it is. I am gracious and compassionate. I abound in faithful love. My brothers and sisters, this is our God. This 
And we could preach another sermon on Moses' response. Did you see what he did um, after he encountered God? Uh, verse 8, he just falls down in worship. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. And brothers and sisters, take time to worship. When you encounter God in these ways, when you are especially aware of his goodness and kindness in his presence, take time to worship, to stand in awe of your God. See, the book of Exodus reminds us that um, we can't live with God and we can't live without him. The, 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 these verses that we just read, most of them included that, that there needs to be repentance there needs to be a turning away of sin and falling, of, uh, casting ourselves upon God for His grace. And we can't live in His presence without His grace. We can't live with Him unless we repent. We can't live without Him because we'll be lost and on our own. The story in chapters 32, 33, 34 is not so much a story of rebellion as it is a story of God's forgiveness and Moses' intercession in bringing that about. There's one last thing I want to leave you with before we close that Victor Hamilton pointed out that I thought was pretty profound. One day, hundreds and hundreds of years after this event, there were a group of guys out fishing. These were seasoned fishermen well accustomed to the Sea of Galilee, the body of water which they were out after their fish upon that day. And, and they, they knew the sea inside and out. And they'd seen some storms. But one comes rolling in. You see it kind of coming in off the plains and moving out over the water. And all of a sudden, the waves begin to splash and the, the ship begins to shake. And, and this is a doozy one of the worst storms they'd ever seen, and they begin to fear for their lives. And then the craziest thing happens. They look out, and they see this guy walking on the water. Just for real, walking on top of the water. We're not talking about glassy seas. We're talking about stepping over waves and just making his way towards them. And, and if you know the story, in Mark's account, there's, there's some interesting language in Mark 6.48. It says, he, you know I'm talking about Jesus, he saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. Now, I've always kind of wondered at that language there. Because I thought he was going out there to, to help them. And the text says he wanted to pass by them. It doesn't make sense. Why walk on the water to help them only to pass on by? It sort of makes you think about the Levite with the, the story of the Good Samaritan just passing by, or the priest passing by while this bleeding crime victim lays on the ground at their feet. But I think Mark is trying to do something with the language here. Because the verb that he uses to say pass by is the same one that the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses to refer to God in his glory passing by Moses. I, I don't know this for 100% certainty. I don't have Mark here to verify this. 
But I think what Mark was doing with that language, the only thing that makes sense to me, why would he say Jesus is about to pass by when they were going through all their stuff on the ship? What I think Jesus, what Mark was doing is making a connection between Jesus and the glory of God passing by Moses in the cleft of the rock. Moses was at a point where he absolutely needed God, and he needed the presence of God. And I think Mark was saying, listen, these disciples were at a place where they needed the presence of God, and that, that, that glory was right there in their midst. The, the, the verb, I don't think, is trying to communicate that, that, God was, that Jesus was going to ignore them or be indifferent to them. No, I think he, what he's saying is that this glory of God is coming to their aid to, to graciously remind them that God was present right there in the midst of their suffering. No ordinary man, not just some sim, simple, interesting teacher. God himself and his presence was right there. I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, that whether we're on the seas and the storms are raging, or whether life is pretty smooth sailing, God longs for us to seek and experience His presence. God longs for us to seek that nearness and to experience His abundant grace. John 1.14 reminds us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That one who came to dwell among us is the one who through the Spirit dwells within all those who trust in Him. And He longs for us to experience His truth and His grace. Won't you seek Him? If you don't know Jesus, my prayer is that today is the day that you meet Him and that you begin to encounter God in a real and powerful way. Come talk to us. If you've never made that decision, we would love to pray with you. Let's seek him together. Heavenly Father, we are reminded that the words to those songs we sang, particularly that line, it just is ringing in my ear. Lord, we need you. Every hour, every moment, we need you. And God, I know that we've got some folks here that that are pretty, pretty just, they're just awesome people, gifted people. And they've made it pretty far in life on their own. We've got some others who are trying, clawing and persevering, trying to cobble things together and make life happen on their own. And some of them have, have incredible achievements. Lord, remind us that, that if we don't have you, we don't have anything. Remind us that, that all the money we might accumulate, all of the friends or prestige, all the social media followers, the stuff, the house, the whatever, help us to see that it's all futile if we don't have you. I pray, God, that you would give us a heart that longs for your presence, that doesn't just passionately pursue you when things are really, really hard, but that longs for your presence moment by moment, that we might gaze upon your beauty day in and day out. I pray, Father, for those of us that need to be reminded of your steadfast love, that we would come back to these scriptures again and again, 
You repeat them for us graciously because you know we're a forgetful people. And we need to be reminded that you delight in showing your love and compassion to us. Lord, if there's somebody here today who's doubting your compassion for them, who thinks that maybe you've run out of patience with them, may your word jump off the pages and into their hearts today. And may they know your incredible love, not just in a, not just in a superficial way, but in a way that dives down deep into their heart. God, I pray like Moses, we would learn to be prayer warriors that intercede passionately and that we wouldn't even, we wouldn't take no for an answer, that we would continue to pursue and pray for those things that matter most to your heart, other people's hearts. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us, for making yourself known. And we thank you for revealing your glory ultimately in Jesus Christ. As you came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins, and you rose again conquering death so that we can experience life, we can experience this abundant hope as we embrace Jesus. Pray that we would do that today. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. May God bless you as you seek his face.